In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Knackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. One of my distinct pleasures on Notably Disney is having the opportunity to celebrate accomplished performers, writers, and other individuals who are really instrumental, no pun intended, to the world of Disney music and books. And today's guest is making his mark in a really cool way by performing some really fun, distinct renditions of classic Disney songs on his YouTube channel. And that's none other than Louis Dowdswell, who has kind of shot to fame recently with some uh, viral videos related to performances of Let It Go, Into the Unknown, Go the Distance, and some other classic Disney pieces. So I'm going to interview him on today's podcast as we discuss his career as a trumpet player developing a big band which you see showcased in his videos, um, and what's next on the docket for this incredible musician. So let's turn it over to my conversation with Louis Dadswell. A graduate of the Royal Academy of Music, trumpet player and producer, Louis Dadswell has played along some major performers, including Michael Buble, Josh Groban, and Seal, and is a major performer and an accomplished musician in his own right, having played with the Royal Philharmonic Concert Orchestra as just one example. Louis is engaged in music education as he teaches the next generation of musicians, and his YouTube channel, where I first came across him, features performances boasting more than 70,000 subscribers. Uh, some of his most popular videos provided the basis for today's interviews. Today's interview, I should say, uh, as his covers of The Incredibles Suite and songs from Hercules and Frozen, among others, have amassed many millions of views. And more than just the viewership, they're just absolutely incredible to watch and listen to. So today we're gonna be talking about his musical background, 
and take on some favorite Disney tunes and scores. So it's a real pleasure to have you on Notably Disney, Louie. Oh, thanks very much. Uh, it's, it's great to be here um, and it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to talk across the pond like this. It's um, pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, thank you. Cheers. Absolutely. Well, many, uh, many time zones and, and uh, a vast ocean divide us, but what often brings people together is good conversation and good music. And uh, we're going to head right into that with learning a little bit more about you. I'm, I'm wondering if you can maybe share with listeners about your context, um, some context on your journey as a musician. I know uh, before we started the recording and and even through through some videos that I've watched, music's kind of been in your blood and always been in your life. So what was your musical journey like? Oh, cool. Yeah, well, I can I can do that. Let's uh, let's start right at the right at the beginning. Um, my mother is a music teacher um, and we started all of the kids. Uh, I have two sisters. Uh, we started all playing piano when we were four and um, after four, I I wanted to play the drums, so uh, I got playing drums when I was about five, and then I finally took the trumpet up when I was about seven. Um, it's pretty pretty young for the trumpet because it's one of those instruments that relies on quite, uh, you know, it's quite physically demanding, as is the drums actually. But um, your trumpet in particular is rely you know relies on having big lungs and 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 lots of strength. So. Anyway, I started that when I was seven, and then uh, I joined the uh, Wells Cathedral School of Music, which is um, like a specialist music school. We have three or four specialist music schools in the UK. Uh, one is called Wells Cathedral School, another is called Cheatham's School of Music, uh, the Purcell School, which is where I went a little later on, and, uh, and another one called Yehudi Menuhin School of Music. And um, I started off basically there, where you get like I don't know, between two and four hours of practice period sort of allocated into your day, um, which is amazing uh, for someone who loves practicing. So um, at, you know, say uh, 8 a.m. in the morning or 8 a.m., we'd be woken up. I was a boarder there. So we'd be woken up and uh, it might have been earlier than that. We would start our practice session straight away before breakfast and then we would have breakfast and then we would start school. And then all the way throughout the school day, we would have, again, practice periods where we'd have to go down to the music school and practice under supervision. And then uh, a little later on, you know, um, we would finish normal school and then we'd have more practice periods and then there would be dinner and then it was bed. So it's a pretty intense uh, musical upbringing uh, with that in mind, um, but absolutely amazing. Uh, so that was at Wells Cathedral School. And then when I was in, when I was about 16, I moved to the Purcell School of Music and joined the National Youth Jazz Orchestra, which is uh, where I met a lot of the colleagues that I, I work with on a daily basis, you know, pre and hopefully post COVID. Um, and uh, yeah, the Purcell School, it was a little different. I, you know, I'd moved over to London, uh, Wells Cathedral School, the other music school that was, that was based in the Southwest of England. So Purcell's based in London. Uh, where I currently reside and um, it was basically just a bit of a stepping stone to get me to London a little earlier than when I was going to start college a couple of years later so I had a great time at Purcell that's when I first started putting YouTube videos up um, not the Disney ones but I just started my channel there and I didn't really know where it was going to go from there to be honest and then uh, after Purcell School of Music and while I was still at the National Youth Jazz Orchestra 
uh, Nijo. I joined the Royal Academy of Music um, as a trumpet undergrad student and uh, I did four years there and I left there and just kind of sort of wanted to see how it all would go. You know, London's an interesting place musically, again, pre-COVID. Um, it, you know, it's got five major orchestras, you know, salaried orchestras, if you will, um, and opera houses and uh, loads of studios and loads of studio work, loads of commercial work. There's, there's basically a huge melting pot, different sort of players, different sort of musicians. And because even though there are a lot of people in London, it's a relatively small place, at least compared to um, a lot of places in the US. Uh, you're not too far away from most people that you work with on a geographical level. And, and for that reason, um, and as a hub, London is so great as a place to learn and come up. You know, there are plenty of stepping stones that I was able to you know, take advantage of even while I was at college, you know, getting opportunities to work with some great players when I was younger. And that kind of propelled me to learn quicker and, uh, and maybe shortcut through some things that maybe I would have had to have waited my turn for if I'd been in a, in a different city. Uh, but London, there were so many opportunities and um, people here that there's not, there's not a bitter... Not that there is anywhere else necessarily, but there's there doesn't seem to be like a bitterness at the top of the game where you know everyone wants everyone to work and everyone wants to work with everyone. So it's a it's a pretty cool atmosphere to be in. And there was a there was a chance I was going to move out to the US when I when I went to college, um, but everything sort of fell into place here and and it's all worked out well. And we live in such a global world nowadays. I feel like there would have been some opportunities I could have had in the US um, that maybe I wouldn't have got here, but there are also other opportunities here that I maybe wouldn't have got in the US. So I'm pretty happy with where I am and, and I'm enjoying uh, working uh, as a, as a trumpet player now mainly um, and, uh, and doing the odd producing gig and producing my own music. So that's kind of how things started for me and, uh, and how I hope that they will progress, but it's, uh, it's been, it's been pretty cool. I'm pretty, pretty happy here and it's uh it's good yeah I hope that's cool <laughs> you know listening to you it's abundantly clear that you're the type of person who has just immersed himself into his craft and it just provides you with uh, a lot of drive and passion for you what is it about the trumpet that speaks to you since that's your signature instrument oh, that's an interesting question i don't think i've ever been asked that one i like it um the trumpets there are a lot of uh, big band and commercial musicians um, that maybe play an instrument that isn't the trumpet, um, but you can tell they wished they played the trumpet. There's a there's a certain level of um, cojones or 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 macho ness about the trumpet, and it, n not in all styles, but in the particular style that I that I would say I maybe um, excel in. Uh, or I'm known for there. There's a a level of macho-ness that comes with that, and it's not that the trumpet gives it to you. It's that um, if things are going well on the trumpet, it feels really great. <laughs> if they're not going so well, it doesn't feel very great. But it's a constant challenge, always, and uh, uh, it's 
every day is a different day on the trumpet but it keeps it interesting it keeps it fresh you have to keep working at it it's not the sort of thing you can just get good at and then leave you you really need to keep it going you have to keep your your chops your face all of your muscles and everything you know um in tip-top condition and uh, have to look after it and it's a it's, it's it's a great journey you know there are other instruments out there uh that i also wish i played better um but i certainly know there are a lot of people out there that wish they played the trumpet because they have that macho or they have that personality that is that is asking to be brought out but their instrument just doesn't do it the same way the trumpet does the trumpet is really you know if you're if if you're part of a section say you're leading a trumpet section of four players you know and everyone in that section is a world-class player but they all have their own voice um being on top of that section is one of the most amazing feelings because not only have you got three um, other really great players underneath you supporting you but you know you really feel like you're on top of everything on top of the section on top of the rest of the big band um you're almost leading the band more than the band leader and for some people that's great and for some people they would rather do something else but for me i love that and that's why i also started to really enjoy being a band leader myself um so yeah i think that's why i love the trumpet <laughs> well uh, what i also appreciate what you're about what you're saying is that it's a very collaborative type of industry and skill set um, in that you talked about whether it's leading a section or leading a band, it requires a, a good amount of harmony and um, community. Can you talk about kind of the major opportunities that have shaped your life so far that are kind of built on that infrastructure of working with really large groups of other musicians? Yeah. Do you mean from say um, individual gigs or like more broad um, things that I have done? What would you reckon? Actually, both. I'd love to hear okay. about both angles. That's cool. So, from a more broad point of view, um, as I said before, some of these stepping stones that there are available in London. Um, hey, I'll just go on a slight tangent here. It's, it was quite interesting. I was in. I was in. Uh, um, I was out near Chicago and I was doing a clinic. I think it was in Elmhurst College. And um, I, I was talking a bit about uh, this sort of thing. And, and I, someone played one of my videos because uh, some of the people at Elmhurst College hadn't heard, hadn't heard the videos. And uh, it hadn't appeared to me uh, necessarily that uh, I have a really, really great band. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm so lucky that I'm able to call on these guys to come and do this with me. But it hadn't occurred to me that that wasn't um, available to everyone. Um, maybe that's ungrateful, but at the same time, um, it's when you are in it, as I said, when you are in that kind of melting pot like London and everyone's on top of each other's toes playing with each other and working, um, it just becomes a natural... Uh, progression to to asking some of those people to to play with you on a project of your own now one of the questions that was asked to me at elmhurst after they'd seen the video was how did you get those guys to play for you um and it was that i always remember that question because you know some of the guys at this college are absolutely amazing players but it didn't occur to me that 
they were in Elmhurst College. And after they finished Elmhurst College, they, and this, this is the story of the States in a lot of respects, um, that they would then have to move somewhere else and start their journey wherever they decided to move, say New York or Los Angeles or uh, Chicago or, or, you know, th but they would really have to go into a scene and they would have to sort of make that kind of thing happen. And for me, it was su such a natural progression because once I had started the Royal Academy of Music, which is right bang in the middle of London, and after people had seen a couple of my videos, people knew who I was almost immediately. And that meant I got opportunities to play with, say, the BBC Big Band or maybe a couple of film sessions a uh, little earlier than maybe I would have done if I had, had not sort of put my name out there. And I'm not one of these guys really for putting my name out as such. It's a very British thing to sort of, you know, remain as humble as absolutely possible. But the, um, the, the thing that amazed me about that question was that it really made me realize what we have here um, for, with regards to that and how I can just call these guys some of the best musicians in the world, literally, and ask me if they want to come over to my house and record some arrangements. And everyone is up for it. And, and that has been one of the most humbling experiences of my life. And one of the biggest musical moments has been just having a band of absolutely amazing musicians just be up for it. And there not have to be, um, you know, this uh, really any business related to it. And it's just been a project that we've all been involved with. And it's very important for me to, to, to make that clear as well is that the, the band it, for them, it feels, I think, hopefully, um, a bit of a project for them and we can we'll be able to take it on to bigger and better things eventually but it that was one of the biggest maybe the broadest musical moments for me was just having that opportunity and some of the more individual things are uh you know getting my first opportunity to play at abbey road studios that was pretty amazing um playing with playing uh, a te television show with Michael Bublé was was really cool. You know, just sitting here clanging now, but all of these things have helped my musical uh, brain and helped my concept. I, I like to talk a lot about concept in my in my clinics, um, and and how the more of it you do, the more of it you listen to, the more of it you take in, and then it becomes second nature. It becomes more natural. Um, you get a much better idea of where your end game is where your end goal is and what journey you're going to need to to uh to pursue to to get there so um there have been plenty of individual uh, uh moments uh, one of the one of the biggest uh, i should say this one of the biggest individual uh moments musically for me was meeting my idol uh who's a trumpet player in los angeles called wayne bergeron um, he's been featured on a couple of my videos since he's on the incredible suite and when you wish upon a star, but we met, uh, over the internet. Uh, when I was much younger, I was doing some covers of Wayne's music cause I grew up listening to him. Uh, he's the lead trumpet player in the big fat band, Gordon Goodwin's big fat band. And he played lead trumpet on the Incredibles, um, two and uh, played lots of high notes on Incredibles 1 and he's been on loads of Pixar movies, he's been on hundreds of other movies and he's just the world's best commercial trumpet player, um, that's how I would put it, or the most employable commercial trumpet player as well, he just happens to have the, the most unbelievably good 
trumpet upper register. He is the macho. He's the most macho lead trumpet player in the world. Put it that way. And uh, he's top dog. And I got an opportunity to meet him uh, in 2012 when he came over to, to play in London for the first time as a soloist. And uh, it was just absolutely life-changing for me. And he actually invited me to stay with him um, as, you know, to, to basically mentor me uh, a little later on that year. And then since then, we've just been really, really close friends. And uh, that's been a huge, huge deal for my musical uh, upbringing. Um, and, you know, since then as well, another thing, another moment for me really was, so as I said before, Wayne, Wayne Bergeron plays lead trumpet with Gordon Goodwin's Big Fat Band. Now, that's a fantastic big band full of L.A.'s finest uh, commercial musicians, namely uh, Annie Martin, Eric Maranthal, Gordon Goodwin himself, uh, Dan Fonero on trumpet. They're, they're, the, the list is endless. Ray Brinker on drums. And... Um, and I started listening to this music when I was six. My mum runs a big band. I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but my mum runs a big band and she used to she used to have this music and we would try and play it. It's really hard music, but it sounds amazing. If anyone hasn't heard it, the podcast, go check it out. It's great stuff. Um, and uh, I grew up listening to this and I was always thought of this lead trumpet player, Wayne. I was like, he's my, he's my, he's my king, you know? And, uh, and in 2017, um, Gordon Goodwin uh, contacted me because Wayne couldn't do a European tour um, and he contacted me to come and play lead trumpet with the band um, and so I toured um, Europe with my with my dream childhood band um, without Wayne unfortunately I did get to do it with Wayne in Japan last year as well which was great but uh, I was there subbing for Wayne and 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 that's that was a absolute dream come true because how everything just kind of came together and linked together and you know i was always saying to myself as a kid i'll i'll never get a chance to see even see this band you know like because i live in london and or it wasn't in london at the time but and they're out in los angeles and it just seemed like this whole dream world and then to for the first time i ever heard them live i was standing at the back playing with them that was a, an absolute dream come true so that's another another big moment for me but um, I'll leave that there because that's been going for a while. But yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. No, thanks for sharing that story, Louis. That was uh, as you were talking, I was smiling from ear to ear because I could <laughs> I could hear how, as you said, your dream came true to be able to um, to meet your idol and play with the the band. My gosh, I just want to know when is the biopic film going to come out about your life and and that happening? <laughs> well, I have to be a lot older for that. <laughs> oh. Better question: Who would play you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. I have to see. I'll be old at that point. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But what's yeah. what's cool about you sharing that is it really illustrates how if an individual works really hard in their respective field and has opportunities to play with some amazing people and, and get connected with the right people. It can lead down. It can lead to some really um, unforgettable and unexpected opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I got very lucky with a lot of it, but there is a lot of luck involved. And to be honest with you, I mean, uh, it, it, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of it's hard work, but there are, everyone's, 
as long as you're a good guy and or a good girl and you're just out there to try and sort of do the right thing and play the game when i say the game i mean just be a nice guy be humble um things come your way you know and the other thing that happens is when you play with people that are better than you and you get that opportunity man do you improve faster you know it's all well and good being the best guy in the band and you know and carrying people to your standard but really we only massively improve when we're the underdogs and we're trying to uh, it sounds like a competition i don't mean that i when you're when you're surrounded by people that you have a huge amount of respect for is when you really really take it to the next level you know when when you become one of the big boys so that's that's yeah that that's kind of how how things works and uh, how things work and uh, and how i think maybe i've taken a few opportunities um uh, at the time that i have it's very cool for sure i, I was going to and you kind of answered this question already in, in meeting your musical idol but have there been other people who you have played with who you've just been absolutely starstruck by and thinking to yourself wow i can't believe i'm i'm playing with this person or this group <laughs> yeah um uh, in 2014, uh, my one of my, I guess you would say mentors, but also very, very close friends, Tom Walsh, is another trumpet player. He plays in my band. And he was kind of, I mentioned the National Youth Jazz Orchestra earlier in the podcast. Um, and he, he was a, uh, he was the lead trumpet player in that band before I was. So he was kind of like my contemporary, if you will. And um, and he's a huge Jerry Hay fan. Jerry Hay is the trumpet player on um, all of the Michael Jackson tracks. He writes all the horn parts for it, um, and he he's uh, he's just, he's just the the man for horn section pop horn section writing um, and trumpet playing. And Tom Walsh is a is a really big fan of Jerry's, and uh, and Tom got a chance to meet Jerry, and they're good mates as well, which is cool. He he got his chance to meet his idol, but he, but through this uh, connection, um, Tom got an opportunity to get in touch with uh, Al Jarreau's musical director Larry Williams, um, and uh, decided that they would try and do a, uh, a Al Jarreau. Um, we did the uh, the, uh, the album's gone in my mind. It will come back to me in a minute. Um, a uh, oh, it's just called Jero, of course. The album's called Jero, and uh, okay. it was released in 1984. And uh, we did a uh, like a total remake of it at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Orchestra. And um, Al Jero came over, um, and I, I remember being with Tom at the time, and we were only you know, just about 20 years old or so. And Tom had managed to sort of put this whole thing together and we couldn't believe it was actually happening. And Tom kindly asked me to play uh, a trumpet on it with him. Um, and that, and that gig was, uh, was amazing because Al was just, just amazing. And, and the music had been transcribed immaculately by Tommy Lawrence. And we had, you know, we just played the whole album note for note, like six shows over three days. Um, to these packed out audiences who loved Al and uh, it was amazing to meet and play with such a, such an icon, you know, and um, 
Same thing happened with Patty Austin, who's a, is another amazing singer from, I'm not sure where she's from, but she certainly sings in Los Angeles. And um, she came over to Ronnie Scott's again. And, we, and I, put, I put together a band to play with her. And, uh, and that, was a, that was an amazing experience. She's an unbelievable vocalist. Um, and there's a, come my, a couple of my favorite gigs. They're sort of smaller gigs in terms of like number of attendees because they're in a little jazz club. But in some ways that makes it more intimate and more interesting. Uh, uh, and, you know, you're not, you're not sort of like one of the guys in the band who's sort of, you know, 50 foot away from the main act and they never look at you and they never speak to you. You're very, very much involved with what's going on on stage. And, and they're some of the most amazing experiences. And, yeah, uh, they're, they're two gigs that come to mind. Um, but there have been plenty of, of things that I've been, uh, I've been wowed at, you know, while being on stage. Um, I don't know whether you guys, uh, Robbie Williams is a, is a, is a he, he broke America, I think. But, you know, Rob, I did a, one gig with Robbie Williams. I played on a few of his albums. And I was just absolutely blown away by his um uh, stage presence. I mean, it was amazing. I couldn't take my eyes off him, and I was behind him playing, you know. And I just there looking at the music. He was such a great entertainer. Um, so it's been, you know, there are there. Of course, I've met uh, uh, tons of trumpet players who I've been uh, really influenced by, but there are lots of other types of musicians and and, uh, and famous musicians that have also kind of I've been. Um, I've been influenced by as well. So it's been, it's been a cool, cool road like that, but yeah, a couple. <laughs> yeah. No, no shortage of really neat people. Can you talk <laughs> kind of shifting over to your amazing YouTube channel? Can you share with me how you started developing videos based on popular Disney songs? Yeah. So uh, I think we, we chatted briefly about this before we started recording, but um, I, I was doing a show out in Dublin and I remember while I was out there, I watched a YouTube video of a, a French horn player playing, I guess you would say it was kind of karaoke. I think he'd taken a karaoke track of let it go from frozen. And, um, and he just played along and he sounded great and everything, but the, the, the video had like maybe 300,000 views and I'm not a, I'm not really a view head necessarily. I don't need the views to, to make me feel better about myself. But I remember thinking at the time, like, Oh, there's something we could do here. There's something, there's something maybe, maybe we could do something for the community, the, the, the big band community. And we could take this song and turn it into something that no one's ever heard like it, you know, before. And so I contacted, um, an arranger called Callum Al, uh, who's now my main arranger. Uh, and was best man at my wedding, which is nice. But at the time, we weren't that close. We didn't really know each other. We had met in the National Youth Jazz Orchestra. Callum played trombone in that band. And um, he's an unbelievably good arranger. He, he can just churn great charts out um, uh, so quickly and so brilliantly. He's actually just released an album that I produced. Uh, it got mastered out in Los Angeles. Um, I produced the record. It's a full orchestra, actually. Uh, he um, he's just released it. It's with a vocalist. It's called Songs and Stories, Calamal. If anyone, just go check it out. You, I think you'll love it. Full full string orchestra with big band and and vocals. Um, it's it's a beautiful beautiful album. Really proud to be part of that. Anyway, um, 
I met Callum properly at that point and, and he started checking out Let It Go and he's sort of sitting on a piano playing it and he's coming up with these ideas and I'm going, yeah, that's great. No, that's not good. And we, can, we come up with this idea about how we're going to turn it, go through this section ballady and then we'll go into this funk section and we'll come out with this high bit at the end and and we put it together it maybe took six months to put together the whole thing because we were really slow at the recording process and i had to ask everyone and had to see if people were up for it and everyone was up for it and i didn't know how to make videos at the time really so we did this first one and we put it out and it kind of exploded um at least uh in our community you know uh, maybe not globally at the time but it slowly picked up and then it was just a case of we were only going to do that one you know and then it was oh maybe this is a thing maybe people like disney and big band maybe like maybe maybe people like disney um well we know people like disney but uh i we ended up doing i think we did go the distance next because it's just one of those epic tunes that i think really it really works great with the trumpet it's just a it's triumphant almost majestic uh, but also brilliant and again the way these thought the way these um, maybe i should explain a little about a little bit about how these things are put together what gen what generally happens and maybe people will find interest in this but what generally happens is callum will will write the arrangement so he'll put all the notes on the page and then i'll sort of sign it off and say you know, whether i like it or not and then what we'll do is we'll put it into our program and we'll uh, get loads of fake trumpets and fake saxes and fake drums and we'll sort of put it together all on our own so that there's some reference so we can hear it and then we'll take it to uh, then I'll call maybe four trumpet players and they'll come over to my studio and they'll record their four parts at the same time they'll replace the fake ones and then we do the same with the trombones and the same with the saxes and the same with the, the drum kit same with the guitar bass piano and before you know it everyone has replaced the fake ones and you've got this real amazing band and it's a really efficient way of recording. And, uh, b because people don't have to be sat around waiting for other people to either get it right or they, they don't, they, you know, they might not be playing in that section. So even though it might be more time for me and Callum, uh, to actually put the whole thing together, what you get is a, a really, really great result. And, uh, and everyone feels like they've been involved and, and, that, and that, that they've, they've enjoyed the process. And at the end of all of that, you then put the video of everyone playing it together and you, and you release it. And, and, and after you go the distance, you know, people really started enjoying it. So we, um, I think we did Zero to Hero, took a slightly different take on that one. We did like a sort of uh, Latin salsa, samba type thing on that one, which was really fun. And we can play those on, uh, all of these work really, really well live as well. So we've played these out gigs and, and stuff like that. And, and after Zero to Hero, uh, we, I think we moved away from Disney for a, for a little bit. No, it was When You Wish Upon a Star. Um, moved away from Disney just briefly and then came back with The Incredibles. And Into the Unknown is my personal favorite. Um, I love that chart. I think it's so cool. Callum wrote it really quickly and we, we put that one together over lockdown. It was, it was great. Got a very famous drummer called Greg Bissonette to play on that one as well. He's Ringo Starr's drummer. Um, if that was possible, but yeah, he's uh, he's absolutely amazing. Greg is absolutely crazy and, and a, a legend of a drummer and a person. So yeah, it's been it's been a great journey, and we we don't plan on stopping. I, as I say, I have just moved house and I got married last year, so things kind of life got in the way of life. But once I settled down, 
I think we'll be able to churn those tracks out a little faster for you all. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for giving some background to just the process of developing your own versions of these songs. And it's funny t you mentioned the Zero to Hero piece, and I'm, and I'm like, I, I have a question here saying, tell me about the process of adding the Latin flair to Zero to Hero, because <laughs> it's something that I don't think anybody would ever expect, one, at all, and then two, to work out well. That's a really <laughs> incredible example of, of putting your own spin on, or all of you collaboratively putting your own spin on a, a very fun, um, upbeat kind of gospel Disney song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, credit to Callum. I mean, generally what happens is I conceptualize the track with Callum and we talk it through and we'll say, you know what, this track, I think it could sound really great in this style. So once, once we've decided on that and we've, we've thought about it, um, Callum will get the writing process done and, and this would usually take a very very long time but he's very very quick so he'll get he'll get this done and a couple of days later I'll have it in my inbox you know and I look at it and maybe I'll say this needs changing and maybe that needs changing and if there's something we're unsure about with the drummer or something we'll send the part to them and they'll look over it and think yeah maybe this could be better here or maybe you could change this and it just slowly evolves. And, uh, and fortunately, Callum's very flexible as well. He's not particularly precious about his own thing. He, he's more happy if, if everyone else is happy. So as a, as a group, we, we, we kind of get it ready. And then, and then, as I said, we just pump it out in the studio, really, just to get it all recorded. Once it's all recorded, I mix it, uh, master it, and then I put the video on. And by the time, it's funny, by the time I get to the video bit as well, it's like, oh man, this has taken a while. And, uh, and uh, the vid video is a whole nother thing as well. Like I'm such a, I'm so fanatical about my audio mixing. I can't, it has to be perfect. And I listen back to some of my older stuff and I'm like, man, how do I let that slide? But the video thing, like, man, that you can go down a rabbit hole with that. It's, 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 like, it's like audio engineering. Um, but 10 times the price and 10 times the options. So, you know, you can, you can really go down a rabbit hole and I've bought lights, I bought an expensive camera. And, but and the problem is, is that you get to the end of the process of putting the video together. And the last thing you want to do is then get a camera out, you know, <laughs> put it in people's faces, but it, it usually works out well. I, I need to, I need to think of a few things I can do to make the video itself even more interesting and i spent a long time on the into the unknown video i thought i'm really gonna chunk some work into this so that was a that was a, a bit of a, a moment but yeah it's a it's a lot of work but it it works out. it's fun i get to do podcasts like this and talk about it <laughs> oh for sure and i'd love to go into the into the unknown in just a minute i, I do want to touch on something you, you mentioned there louie about time commitment associated with handling all these different steps and procedures and that leads to the final product that all of us viewers end up uh, watching and listening to. What is the what is the general length of time it takes? I know you said let it go was a bit longer, but have you kind of yeah. gone into a rhythm of figuring out how much time you need to allot toward particular steps in the process? I appreciate that question because um, you know it takes five minutes to watch one of these things. And then, and then the expectation on the artist is to churn these out fast. Now, there are a few things that are in our, are in our way. I reckon when we started our Patreon, 
uh, we started, we we decided we were going to invest more time into doing these videos, uh, more of our work time, if you will, um, and we were going to try and produce two a month. Now, that's doable if you're if you are killing two birds with one stone. So, we tried to sort of have all of the uh, have have two or three tracks ready to be recorded in one go and then record all of them in one session with those musicians so we didn't have to keep calling them back you know every single time we wanted to do another track so we try and load up three tracks ready to go and then kind of churn them out but it it's the income from a financial point of view is not at the point yet where it's possible for me to turn to turn my career on its head and focus 100% on that. Now, with COVID, that may well have changed, and you may see more videos from me uh, as a way of uh, you know, using my time in a creative way. But with work in London, you know, um, and with all of these great, don't forget all the great players that I get in the band, they're all working every day as well. So just trying to nail these guys down is not only a lot of work, but it's also difficult. So um, in an ideal world, if the chart that we were about to play wasn't too hard and wasn't too hard to, con to, be, concept from, uh, to be conceptualized, from conception to release, I reckon my personal involvement would could be as little as 30 hours maybe maybe a bit more maybe 40 but it usually runs into the 200 hours 250 hours per video um that's probably more realistic because not only you know you've got to call everyone to make sure they're around and then you have to like make sure the studio is available and have the job done callum's doing that it's, it's loads of people involved and you know, people on my YouTube, you know, people on the internet are, are impatient and are totally understandably, you know, they don't see uh, what goes into these. But one of the things that I really want to do, I, I, I should pre, I should say before I say what I'm about to say, I'm, I, I, I'm one of these people that is, I can't release something worse than my last video. So you end up, I could churn out videos faster if I was happy with um, my output, but I'm never happy with my output, if you see what I mean. So I have to always work even harder the next time to outdo myself. Otherwise, my personal enjoyment in the project goes. I have to push myself to get it even better every, every single time. And with the internet, there's endless opportunities. Um, so it's very important to me that I don't turn uh, that I that my product does not turn into something I churn out to satisfy um, the fans from a consistency point of view. Even though I know that is the correct way to uh, to build a channel quickly, I, I'm aware of that. Um, but for me, I, I can't do that. I have to, I have to better myself every single time. Um, and that's why it takes a long time because I won't release it unless it's better. <laughs> so 
that's kind of why things take a while. And I don't mind that they take a while, but you can always be faster and you can always be better. So my plan is to increase my speed without reducing my quality. And that's very important. And I, and I hope that the hardcore fans would, uh, would, would agree with that as a, uh, as a premise, if you see what I mean. Oh, for sure. Well, and that's, I think, the true quality of an artist and someone who's uh, constantly challenging themselves and wanting to be at the top of their game. And it, it sure sounds like you have those qualities. Well, I hope, hope so. You know. <laughs> so you mentioned Into the Unknown a little bit ago. That was, um, as of now, when we're recording, that was the, the latest Disney-related um, song that you have released. And as, as a viewer, uh, I couldn't have been more impressed by, one, how many people uh, you assembled for this video, <laughs> how fantastically this was produced from just a, um, a, from a visual standpoint um, with all the videos kind of circling around and these different effects, but more than that, just the, the sheer dynamic quality of the sound and all of you working in good company. I obviously have very favorable things to say, but can you just talk about assembling such an incredible team for what's arguably one of the most popular and best Disney songs in, in the last decade? Yeah, well, thank you very much, by the way, for, for what you just said about the track. I did spend a ton of time on this one, and it's one of the shortest tracks. It's only about three and a half minutes. Um, some of the other tracks are seven minutes, like the Christmas one we did before that. Um, and um, yeah, COVID hit, and I had I had asked Callum to do me a version of Into the Unknown because I really felt like it suited the trumpet, um, just as a melody, uh, and it also suited like high octane stuff. I, I was just into it. I thought it was going to be brilliant, um, and I think I mean. When I sent it to Callum originally to arrange, um, he listened to the original soundtrack version, which he was underwhelmed by, not from a musical point of view, of course, but from a, okay, what can we actually do with this? There's not much we can do. And then I sent him the Panic, Panic at the Disco version, and he went, ah, I know what we can do with this. So that was where we were at with concept, was we were going to start with that, and we were going to take it away from there and move it into a slightly different place. Um, but... <clears throat> He wrote it, and we had a uh, a gig on March 9th with my band uh, in London. It was the last gig I did before before COVID struck. Uh, struck. And um, and obviously, musicians have been decimated uh, from a uh, from a uh, working point of view since that happened. Um, but uh, I digress. The we played that into the unknown chart on that gig just to give it a go, see what it was like. And it went down a treat. It sounded so cool. I was so into it. And so were the audience. So we decided we'd do a video on it. And I was planning the video and then COVID really hit. And then we weren't even going to be able to record it the usual way. We usually record it with sections together in my studio, playing off each other's vibes and, and, uh, and you know, all together. Couldn't do that weren't allowed to be near each other so i kind of took this opportunity to branch out and reach out across the world uh, but particularly los angeles and for some of the musicians that i had met over in la um gordon goodwin the guy i mentioned earlier um his band uh he played piano 
um, and he was up for ages, so it would be fine, you know. It was awesome for me to have him there. Uh, Greg Vissonet, again, I mentioned him earlier, drummer. Um, uh, he, he did his part over in L.A. Um, and uh, I got this, a, a very famous bass player, uh, a very good friend of mine called Lawrence Cottle, uh, who, who lives around the corner from me. But um, again, he had to do it at his house, and everyone did it at their house. And so, again, we did the same thing. We demoed, that's what we call it. We demoed up the track, so we got it all in fake, and then we sent it out to everyone, and we built it. So I would send it to the lead trumpet player first so that everyone could play along to him. So then I would send everyone else a bit with the, the fake stuff with the lead trumpet because he would play the part a little bit different to the fake player, so the fake trumpet that we would put on before. And, and we would slowly build it up. But what I really wanted to do for this was call other people from around the world. I had Dan Fanero from LA. I had a Hungarian trumpet player called uh, David Chismadia. Um, I had some other sax players from LA. I, I called some guys from Germany, uh, Nigel Hitchcock, Tini uh, Hitchcock as well, and his wife. They're, they're, they're fantastic saxophone players. And I just thought, you know what? And it's funny that everyone thought this as well, but I thought I was being special at the time. Um, you know, even though we can't play with each other, you know, together, um, maybe maybe we can make something happen across the internet. And uh, and so I was just getting emailed this 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 music back, uh, all of their parts and their videos. And it was for me just to kind of stick the whole thing together. And um, I think there were about forty musicians on that track, maybe a few less than that, maybe a few fewer, thirty-eight or something. But it was just great because I could have everyone on it. And I, and I, what I ended up doing was rather than have all of them play at the same time. Um, because because maybe two or three people were playing each part, I would um, have them play one phrase and then swap to the next person. And, and you probably can't tell that because they're all such great players; they all play so similarly, um, uh, and so so they're all so together and so tight uh, that it's difficult to tell that that's the case. But there are forty different people playing on that, and it, and the, the lineups are constantly changing. The only things that stay the same are the rhythm section. So the drums, the bass, guitar, the piano, they're all one player. Everyone else is, uh, is kind of in, is popping in and out. And uh, I, yeah, it was, it was just so fun to mix. Uh, I, I spent a while mixing it. I got it really punchy. I really enjoyed how it sounded in the end. If you haven't checked it out on Spotify um, or on any of the streaming services, I recommend you check it out there because it's even punchier. YouTube and Facebook kind of compress the, the audio in a way that I don't like that much. And, and Spotify doesn't do it quite so badly. So um, you might get an even better result checking it out on there. Um, and then the video was funny because I had all these tons and tons of videos and I had to do something with it all. And video can ruin your computer. You know, like it can really slow you slows your computer down. And so I ended up buying a new computer at the beginning of lockdown and, and uh, just to deal with this one track. And, uh, and I spent maybe three weeks, yeah, between two and three weeks learning how to use Adobe Premiere Pro. I, I could already use it, but to really know how to use it. And uh, after I had learned it to another level, uh, I then started the video. And I don't know whether you can tell, I don't know how many times you've seen it, but I've seen it a lot. And what's quite funny is at the beginning of the video, um, I sort of worked on it linearly. So I start at the beginning and then by the end, 
um, my video editing chops had actually improved. Um, so the beginning, there's some, there's some stuff in there that I wish I had known about uh, at the end of the process, if you see what I mean. So I would go back and, of course, I went back and fixed a couple of things. But from a creative point of view, I think the video actually gets more creative um, the further along you get, which actually adds to the track, I think, as well. Um, so that was an interesting, um, uh, uh, like, finding, if you will, um, that as you learn, as, as your palette of skills become, like, increases, you realize that um, you had limited yourself at the beginning, but that might be a good thing because uh, at the beginning of the track, you don't want it to be quite as intense. And at the end, you're pulling all of the, all of the plugs out and you're, and you're going crazy. So uh, it, was, it was quite cool. So I really, I really enjoyed making that track. It was really, it was my favorite. It's just by far my favorite. I absolutely love, absolutely love it. <laughs> I'd have to say it's my favorite too. I've, I've probably watched it about a dozen times now and I get <laughs> so excited every time I, I have the opportunity to share it with someone because um, I think anybody who appreciates good music and, and unique takes on um, a popular song. It, it really delivers. Oh, Louis, what, what has been the reaction from um, not only fans, people who are familiar with your tunes, but also have there been cases of songwriters or composers of the pieces themselves that you've covered actually providing feedback or, or getting in touch with you? Um, so Michael Giacchino, who's the guy who wrote the incredible soundtrack, he tweeted our version just before Incredibles 2 came out, which was pretty awesome. Um, and uh, Kristen Lopez, uh, she tweeted Into the Unknown, um, which was really, really cool as well. So I know they've both seen it, uh, which is really nice. It's nice to know. And, and Michael Giugino sent me a nice message, and I, you know, I sent him a a nice message back and a little back and forth, um, which is very cool. But from a feed point, feedback point from the from the fans, my business model, if you will, uh, with regards to all this is, is uh, a lot of people I grew up with, colleagues, and and they maybe maybe you could call them purists, and and in the best sense of the word, you know, they fan absolutely fantastic world-class jazz musicians that are releasing amazing original music um they are promoting themselves as their own artist they are um promoting their own original music and it's very very admirable um and fantastic that, that so many people are doing that and the thing is i've just never been necessarily that person i'm i kind of see it a little bit more from the from the fan, not from the fan point of view, but from the audience's perspective. So I'm, a lot of me is thinking like, what do they want to hear? Or a lot of me is thinking, how can I maybe um, influence or uh, how can I enjoy, how can I make more people enjoy what I'm doing? And, and one way you can do that at least um, is by using popular culture to your advantage. Now, um, I could have taken the same band um, and with zero subscribers. Uh, I could have taken exactly the same band, exactly the same arranger, but we had done 
original compositions or original tunes and um the quality of the product would have been as good as what you see in into the unknown and i probably would have got 50 subs and this is the this is kind of the thing and this just seems to be the way that the world is going and the way that the music industry is going is you have to try and get the people on side and then show them something else so um the way i see things is you know i love disney obviously but um i also was trying i tried to be a bit savvy with it and try and do something different with it um but also keeping people like i guess yourself um uh you would never have come across me you know and that and that's a shame for me um but it happened because of something else going on in the world like into the unknown and so i think it's maybe i'm trying to be smart by doing something diff different and maintaining my musical integrity with it or at the same time trying to maybe show some people that haven't heard this style of music um uh, particularly instrumental music how great it can be um so many people in the world are only interested in lyrics uh, or in songs um with a vocalist but i think there's a lot that you can get from listening to instrumental music and as an instrumentalist um i mean i'm married to an opera singer but i can't hear lyrics myself i i've got i'm all, all over the place like that but i get i get emotion i get more emotionally attached to uh, the melodies and the harmonies than I do the, the lyrics and the songs personally. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I guess what I'm basically trying to say is it, I'm, I'm glad that the experiment has worked to an extent, but something I'm, I'm more uh, that I've enjoyed the most has been, uh, and something I was not expecting to happen has been the sheer amount of young people that have got in touch um saying that they are being inspired by what we're doing that, that what there was that, that wasn't kind of the plan it just happened that so many young people got in touch and i think a lot of young people um are being you know how i was talking about the gordon gilman big fat band earlier and how i grew mm -hmm. up listening to that band you know and how how my idol was this trumpet player wayne bergeron um i think in a weird way um maybe I, I part of my and I, i'm going to say my band not just me my band very importantly it is maybe that feeling for some of the young people at the moment and that fills me with a huge amount of joy that's at least that's how i've kind of taken taken how they've been speaking to me uh, on the social media or on social medias and and that's a very very touching um thing a very humbling thing that so many young people have got on the bandwagon if you will and love it they absolutely love the stuff and and that's great because hopefully it will inspire more generations of instrumentalists um and it will also inspire people that maybe haven't heard a lot of instru instrumental music um and hearing this stuff in a new way it can be really cool um and i'm i'm quite proud of that i, di I didn't think that would be something that would that would come from this and it a lot of this wasn't planned you know you just you just want to make something you want to impress people you want to show people what you can do and and loads and loads of other things come along with it and that and that's been one of the best reactions it's been it's been that so yeah
Well, and I think that's kind of the power and significance of an artist where their work serves as a mechanism or gateway for listeners to explore other types of music, as you talked about, big band music, also just, you know, instrumental music. And I know for me, even my own experiences, so I've played piano most of my life um, as a hobby, but I know that I've explored different uh, genres and artists because I hear something and that kind of propels me to want to learn more about something or find similar artists. And I, I hear what you're saying there where your, your work is really providing that inspiration and drive for so many people and even audiences or, or types of audiences that you may not even expect. Yeah. And actually to add to that, which I, which must be mentioned is that as working musicians, you know, run of the mill musicians, which is what we all are really, you know, um, we're sort of tradesmen, if you will. Um, we work um, for other people. We do functions for people. We play at people's weddings. We do, we play on film soundtracks. We do all sorts of things. We play for artists. Now, I would consider that to be a tradesman, really, um, type job. Of course, it's a skilled tradesman, but it's a, it's a tradesman. Um, this is my opportunity to, become, to show my artistic side. And for us tradesmen, uh, musicians, it, it can be very, very difficult to actually take your musician hat off and realize that the majority of the world don't know um, a lot of what you're trying to do. It's more about how you uh, present it that is important to people and whether or not they can get behind it. If you're a clever clogs and you're trying to make this music as difficult as it can possibly be and there's no musical, um, there's nothing to latch onto musically, then you're missing the point, in my opinion. You're missing everything. Something I've noticed from YouTube is that I've, a lot of people, I'm, I have definitely been blinded by my um, understanding of music. And this isn't to say that other people aren't as smart as me or that they're, they're, that they're dumb, therefore I have to dumb it down. What I'm trying to make a point about is that it's not, uh, it's not the complexity of the music that is important here. It's what it's, uh, how do I put it? it's how you present what you're doing uh, in a way that everyone can get behind. And I know that other musicians, hardcore musicians, also really enjoy the tracks. And that's the thing, right? Try and find something that everyone can enjoy. And if you don't like, if, if you don't like the tracks, then um, that's also fine. You know, it's like, it's, it, it, it not, it's not, not going to be for everyone. But what we've tried to do is try to make it so that everyone can enjoy it. And Disney is a great way of doing that. And um, as I say, none of this was really planned. But as I look back, I can see a lot of it in hindsight. I can see how we, how we did a, a few things and definitely how we could have improved on them and how we will improve on them. And just to go back to my point about um, original music or music that's less well-known and arranging that, um, I feel like the audience I have um, uh, is of an of a adequate engagement now where I feel that maybe we can veer slightly away from such mainstream um, and maybe try and do some stuff that's uh, 
a, a, a little bit more musically complex, not from a technical difficulty way, but just, you know, we got some ideas. Callum's actually in the process of writing my second album. Um, and it's going to be, I won't say what it's going to be just yet, because we, we haven't finalised everything yet, but it's going to be um, stuff that we hope most people will have heard, but they might not know that they've heard it before, and we're going to do our thing to it. Um, they were, sorry, they will, have, they, will, they will have heard it before, but they won't necessarily know what it's called. Um, oh, interesting. And, and we're going to do our thing to it, and I'm hoping that people can go, I know that tune. I, where do I hear? Where have I heard that tune before? And uh, and it and and some of it is going to be a little bit more musicy, and some of it's going to be really obvious. So um, again, trying to engage the audience in in a way and and give them something. It's also great material for us to play live on gigs as well, um, because you have to gauge your audience and if you have lots and lots of old people in the audience and they don't know Disney uh, or at least some of the most more modern Disney, it's nice to have something else up your sleeve. So yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that's kind of where we're going. That's a great tease. So I I was going to ask you what's next on the docket. So it's mystery (laughs) album number two. Okay. Mystery album number two. I will say it's, um, we're about 60% of the way through writing. Um, But once everything's written, because of covid we're going to need to um uh, we're going to have to come up with the best way of doing it um musically and logistically uh from a a recording standpoint and then video as well we want to do the videos because the videos have been the thing that's sort of captured everybody's attention it's interesting as well another little thing uh, i've noticed about the music industry is that it's not really the music industry anymore the world's kind of changed and People don't really listen to music anymore. They watch it. It's weird. Um, I don't know. I, I've noticed that as I've gone. If you you could have you could have the uh, you could have the, the 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 gem of all gems of music. You could have the best recorded track that everyone in the entire world would love. And the way that social media works nowadays is, if there's no video to go with it, no one's going to click on it. And uh, it's very sad, but it's true. So you could have this gem of a track and you could uh, release it onto Facebook with, uh, with a black screen or something, or, or even a title screen. And the way that people's um, uh, attention spans work now is that they, they may click on it, but they're almost immediately going to click off it because they're not being visually engaged with it. So I have to take that into consideration and, and think about how we're going to do the next videos um, to keep people interested so that they get to hear it, you know, um, and so that people hear what uh, people get excited about what they're hearing, but they may not have clicked on it without the video aiding them. That's kind of another thing I've, I, I've been thinking about. So, yeah. Of course. Well, it raises the challenge, but also the opportunity. Absolutely, it definitely does, and and the more people that can get involved, the better. Um, but if they don't, if they don't know what they're about to miss out on, then they may have clicked off before they enjoy it. And my job is to keep them entertained until they realise that they want to see it right through to the end, because people don't buy vinyl records anymore and listen from the top to the bottom of the side, then turn it over, listen then from the top to the bottom of side B. They have 
an unlimited amount of music on their phone, unlimited amount of videos. And if they're bored within the first five seconds, I guarantee you they'll click off it. So it's up to us now and we have to adapt the way we are to make it enjoyable the whole way through. So people, people stay engaged and it's just another bat. It's not, it's another gone off on a slight tangent here, but it's a, it's an, it's another battle that, or, or uh, obstacle that we have to adapt to as a, as an industry, I think. So it's, it's interesting times for sure. Absolutely, Louis. Well, let's wrap up um, with every guest who I talk with. I ask them some Disney-related questions um, that are all opinion-based. <laughs> so there aren't any right answers, but I have a few music questions for you if you're ready to oh, go. Great. Yeah. Let's well, first off, what Disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up? Hmm. Um, a tune that comes to mind whenever I think about my childhood is Someday My Prince Will Come. Um, so, yeah. Maybe Cinderella. <laughs> it sounds crazy. Um, but maybe. Maybe Cinderella. So Two. we have s- some Snow White and Cinderella. Very cool. Snow White, Snow White, Snow White, and Cinderella, um, because the Cinderella. What's the? Um, I can't even remember. What, this is the thing, right? With lyrics, I can't even remember what the tune's called. A dream is a wish so, your heart makes. That's the one. So it's both. It's both that, and someday my prince will come. They they're the two tunes, and they're basically they're, they're pretty similar. They're the two that always stick in my head, always. Um, whenever I think about it, and I. I walk around the house singing someday my prince will come and I'm a man and that's weird, but <laughs> I shouldn't, you know, I'm married, but no, the, um, the, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that always sticks in my head. Yeah. Snow White and Sin- Pro- Snow White, probably actually. I, my mum made us watch that all the time. I loved it. Crazy. <laughs> Thinking about it. Childhood. Yeah. Childhood. Definitely. Definitely. Right. I'm old enough for that as well. <laughs> we all can appreciate those those tunes. So, and this, you kind of touched on this already, but what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? As in, um, uh, like an earworm, most modern song or earworm? Yes, yeah, like, definitely. Or into the unknown. It just I can't. It's just always there after doing that video. <laughs> yeah, one of those two. Okay, definitely. What, what Disney film do you feel has the most underrated music? Oh, that's good. That's a good question. I wanted to say, oh, that's hard, you know, because they're all so good. Um, is, I don't think it is, um, is uh, Emperor's New Groove Disney? It sure is, yeah. That soundtrack, definitely. That's yeah. a good one. Oh my gosh, yeah. That turns- really good soundtrack. And it's actually written by um, a guy who lives, he used to live in London, um, his name is Dave Hartley. He's an amazing piano player. I think he was Sting's MD. 
uh, musical director, and um, Dave wrote Dave wrote the charts for that. And uh, I remember asking a few questions about that while I was on a session with him. Um, amazing piano player, an amazing arranger, and a and a great soundtrack. I really like that soundtrack. I could yeah, I couldn't remember whether it was Disney or not, um, or whether it might have been Pixar or something. But yeah, Disney, good. <laughs> so Louis, I think your next your next Disney related cover has to be Perfect World from Ember's New Groove because that's yeah 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 really yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes maybe <laughs> i lost Callum. see what we come up with <laughs> you know it's 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 definitely music that not everybody would recognize as easily as into the unknown but it's still very fun and peppy so i like yeah it. there's the, the one the one that i don't know what it's called but the one where uh emperor um kuzo is it kuzo kuzo yeah running, yeah he's running around at the beginning and it's just got these epic horns. It's, I think it's Jerry Hay, the guy yes. I mentioned earlier. He's playing all the horn stuff, and it's just so burning. It's, it's such great music. I love it. <laughs> I love that, yeah. too. I think that track, if I'm not mistaken, it's called Run, Llama, Run. I um, I think I might have it here. Hang on a second. Let's see if I can find it quick. Um, uh, new Groove. It's... Um, uh, I'll, I'll see if you can find it. Ask me the next question and I'll see if you can find it. It's, um, <laughs> it's going it's to stay with me there. Sure. So the last uh, random Disney question for you is, what Disney character would be your sidekick in real life? Wow. Oh. Disney character would be my sidekick. Oh. <sighs> to do... Just to help me be like a little mascot. However you interpret it. I don't know. Um, dopey. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or, oh, I know. From, from um, Emperor's New Groove. What's the, um, the dad? What's his name? Oh, Pacha? Yeah, Pacha. He's lovely. He's just really nice. He would he he would be great. It's probably a really weird, really weird choice, but it comes to mind as someone I could hang around with for a while. Hey, I, I like the answer. You know, Emperor's New Groove turns twenty years old this year, so it's uh, Does it really? Yeah. Oh man, your Disney knowledge is epic. <laughs> oh uh, you don't know the half of it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, that has a great soundtrack. I'd I'd recommend and I've mentioned this on the podcast before and I'll mention it. Uh, here again, there's a great documentary that Sting's wife uh, produced about the making of The Emperor's New Groove. Um, it's called The Sweat Box, and it was kind of this like um, underground documentary. And it's actually, I believe it's still on YouTube. Um, so it's okay. really great in that it uncovers the uh, making of the film, but also the role of music in the movie. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, I, I think I will. You know, I'm going to change my answer there. I've got a better one. Okay, go for it. I think it. My, my sidekick would be Mulan. Mm, yes, she's pretty, she's pretty loyal and, and tough and a great role and, model. And actually, you know what? Uh, that could also have been the answer to the most underrated uh, Disney soundtrack. I absolutely love that soundtrack, and I don't hear it enough, really. So, yeah. Okay, so you, you'll have to do "I'll Make a Man Out of You" as as another yes, song. That, that has definitely been on the list. Okay, definitely. We actually tried conceptualizing that one for a while, 
and another one is reflection. Mm, nice. Um, so uh, that would have been really fantastic. But um, yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, you have your homework, Louie. I expect to see some good content, but I, I know that for what you're saying, it's a labor of love and you want to constantly challenge yourself and take your time. Yeah. So I know whatever we expect from you moving forward is going to be high quality for sure. Well, I hope so. And that's the plan. <laughs> well, let's wrap up. How can listeners follow your work, follow you on social media, pick up your album? Uh, best thing to do, um, you can buy my album uh, on iTunes, uh, the regular places, Google Play, etc. The album, High Score, isn't actually available on any streaming platforms. I, I haven't decided as to whether or not I'm going to release it on those. Uh, maybe I will when my second album comes out. Anyway, another way that you can support me and the band uh, more is to buy a uh, hard copy of the album, which you can actually get at louisdowswell.com uh, or uh, shop.louisdowswell.com. You'll be able to find my shop there and you can buy the physical copy. Um, and uh, and that works great in a CD player. I remember those things. Um, uh, you can also follow me on Facebook, uh, Louis Dowdswell, um, YouTube, Louis Dowdswell, or Chicken Tico, which is my old alias, but either works. Um, I don't really use Twitter all that much. Um, but I'm on there. Uh, and then Instagram as well. Louis Dowdswell on Instagram. Or Louis TPT is my, is my handle on Instagram. So um, they're the best places to find me. Uh, you can chat to me on my website. Uh, I get all the messages come through on my phone nowadays, which is good. And uh, if there are any budding young trumpet players out there that want to have a lesson, I also do online lessons uh, from my website. So if you want to get in touch and just hang out for an hour, um, you better do that on there. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, that's basically where we're at. It's cool. Very cool, Louis. Well, it was great having you on Notably Disney. And I know all of us will, if we're not already subscribed uh, to your YouTube channel and your other platforms, um, now is definitely the time to, to get hooked because I definitely am uh, a fan for life now. Oh, thanks so much, man. And thank you so much for having me on the, on, on the podcast. It's a, this is a first for me. I've done interviews and things like that before, but um being on a podcast is uh is cool i listen to a lot of podcasts myself so uh thank you all to the listeners out there for uh, for checking this out if you did and uh, and uh, hopefully i'll have something for all of you very soon and um maybe even some disney sometime who knows sounds good thanks louis <laughs> thanks very much i'll see you soon and many thanks go out to louis for joining me on notably disney uh, you can tell through our conversation that I'm a big fan and I highly advocate for you to support him via subscribing to his YouTube channel and checking out those aforementioned performances. What an incredible performer, someone who I think is going to be quite popular for many years to come. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports, that's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports, and be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. 
Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.